instead of before we kind of put the the floodlight on someone else's sin or someone else's failure we need to invite the searchlight on our own heart and to say man what what's going on in me search me oh god and know me see if there be any wicked way in me and so so while we can learn from the you know the examples or failures from others really the critical step that we have to take is to not leave it as being about the other person but actually to say okay what where where am i lord like where am i with you where's my relationship with you and all that ecfa's michael martin sits down with glenn packiam pastor musician and author a theologian to discuss glenn's book the resilient pastor that he wrote a few years ago drawing on new research from the barna group scripture and church history Glenn addresses some of the most pressing questions for today's leaders. Stick around and go deeper with us on this one. Let's not just be in settings where we're the spiritual leader. Let's also be in settings, even if it's occasionally, where we can be in the posture of the worshiper and the one who's receiving. Well, Pastor Glenn Packham, it is so good to have you as a guest today on the ECFA podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you so much, Michael. Good to talk to you today. Yeah, well, thank you. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for the conversation today. We recently had, I know, a good friend of yours uh, on the podcast, David Kinneman from Barna. And, uh, you know, we were unpacking just some of the more challenging statistics that we've seen when it comes to, uh, yeah, the challenges that pastors are facing and all. But I love how you wrote a book (laughs) that was called The Resilient Pastor. And you talk about uh, just some of those qualities that are needed for leaders. And at ECFA, we have just such a huge heart for leaders. Um, And so I know, too, um, you wrote that from the perspective of not just the statistics, but um, some of your own story and some of the stories that even come behind those numbers and those statistics. So Glenn, we're just really grateful to have you on and to get to hear a little bit more about even some of your story today. Thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, it's a, it's a subject I'm very passionate about, was honored to partner with the Barna team in writing that book. And so they provided kind of the research portions of the book. Uh, and then I was able to, to take that and uh, mine church history, basically, to find out uh, where's some wisdom for us today? Because even though these are difficult and challenging times, the church has been through a lot uh, over the last couple thousand years. And so just to be able to look through the scriptures and church history and to say, okay, how can we learn um, from the wisdom of those who have gone before so that we could find strength for this moment today? Yeah. And you know what I'll tell you too, uh, I haven't mentioned this to you before, but just my perspective, Glenn, as I was kind of making my way through the book is even in your own story, um, you know, well, I think about how, uh, yeah, pastors in these times have gone through so many challenges in terms of COVID and just all the trauma and turmoil in our culture and all those things. But I really believe God had you to be the perfect person to write this book because um, while you didn't go through COVID necessarily years ago or some of the other cultural challenges we're facing today, you certainly went through kind of your fair share earlier in your ministry career of some other really difficult and challenging circumstances that produced a lot of, you know, resilience, I think, uh, in your ministry. So maybe for those who aren't as familiar uh, with some of that background, maybe just kind of give us that quick uh, cliff notes of some of that preparation God put you through, and then love to hear more too about just uh, some of the latest that we've learned from Barna. 
Yeah, sure. So I, I'm originally from Malaysia, and that's where I grew up and all of that. But I'll just, just fast forward to the story of uh, the, the 22 years of ministry life that I had at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Um, got there right out of college. I'd come, I'd lived in the States once during my middle school years. My parents went to Bible school. We went back to Malaysia during my high school years. I came back to the States to go to college. And then right out of graduation, essentially, after a year of working at the university, I, I came to New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And so I was a young 20-something on the worship staff and helping with the college ministry as well. And six years into my time on staff, the founding senior pastor, a guy named Ted Haggard, uh, had a pretty public moral failure, and um, it was very difficult. It was, it was in, in, in many ways unexpected. And, and it put a lot of stress on the church, created a lot of anxiety and, and, and uncertainty for the future. But it was also during that season, the months that followed the scandal, that the Lord used to, to speak to all of us about where our hope was, about how we were defining what a local church is, what it means to be a pastor, uh, even the markers of what you think of as success, which gets so uh, squirrely, gets so confused in the American sort of um, context where we think of success as always bigger, better, more influential, and all of that. And so I think we went through the refining fire during those months to kind of purge us of some of those mm. misconceptions. And then our new senior pastor, Brady Boyd, came in the summer of 2007. He has been a great blessing to the church. Um, but a hundred days into his time, you know, a little over three months of, of him being the senior pastor, a gunman came on the campus, opened fire in the parking lot, killed two teenage girls, uh, mm. injured a, a couple others. And so here's Brady stepping into this role and having to kind of lead the church through it. And he's, he did it with such remarkable grace, helped us not to give in to fear, uh, but also to be able to grieve well as a church. And so, but you, you, you think about 13 months apart, a scandal and a shooting. And I remember talking to some colleagues of mine and just thinking, man, this has got to be it, right? This is the moment that we... Yeah close our doors. And so we're just so grateful for the grace of God that that uh, not only helped us sustain or survive, but actually flourish. And uh, and here, you know, New Life is when I left this, this past summer, it's in such a healthy place. It's multiplied mm. with many campuses. There's a great team of leaders and volunteers. And and, and I, I love that. And that's not something any person can take credit for. I, I think resilience is at the bottom line. The bottom line is resilience is a work of grace. It's a it's a yes. work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I believe there's ways we can partner with the Spirit in cultivating that resilience, but at the end of the day, it's a work of grace. No, oh, that's right. And uh, yeah, just love what God has done, uh, that work of resilience in, in your ministry and in new life. And we're proud to say that they're one of our ECFA accredited members and just love that story of what God has done. And yeah, let's come back to some even points for ministry leaders on resilience here later in our conversation. But, you know, we're in a season, Glenn, too, of uh, on this podcast where we're having a series of conversations just about healthy leadership and what that looks like and the difference that that can make um, for the culture of an organization for our really our our witness for Christ and so I just think about you alluded to a little bit of that and just uh, those highlights from your story but I know you've been influenced by you've experienced both right you've experienced some of those difficulties of unhealthy leadership and those consequences and then I know a little bit more from your story too about 
some of the healthy leadership and, you know, those influences, like you mentioned, Pastor Brady and Eugene Peterson and others. And so, yeah, how has God used really both unhealthy leadership as well as healthy leadership to help kind of shape you and your perspective in your ministry today? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we'd rather just learn from healthy examples. But I think uh, the truth is every person is sort of this mixed bag, and it's a little bit like, uh, obviously, Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares was not about an individual or a person, but I, I do think there's something to be, to be said there about an individual being a mix of, of the positive and the difficult and the negatives. And so it's not as if a, pers- a person is all unhealthy or all healthy. There's, there's kind of things you can learn from, from each one. And so, you know, over the years, I, I learned some things by watching leaders who were driven um, maybe in an unhealthy way, Le- leaders who sort of were driven by um, a kind of impulse to grow the church that always had the, the veneer of Christian language around it. You know, we got to reach more people. We got to, you know, people last forever. So reach the lost at any cost. I mean, things that are sort of hard to argue with. But it led me to kind of to recognize that it's not that the value itself is unchristian, but that part of being a Christian is to find the right sort of values to set intention with one another. Uh, there's there's always a, a, a set of uh, convictions or values that are meant to be in a healthy, generative tension with one another. So it, just one example of this, in the book, I, uh, there's a chapter in there on worship, on why we gather together. The book is, is, is structured around eight challenges, four that face the pastor as an individual and four that, that the church is facing. And in, in one of the ones for the church, it actually helps us speak to this a little bit. There's three words that have become very important to me, encounter, formation, and mission. And encounter is that conviction that the church gathers to meet with the living God. Formation is the conviction that the church gathers to become more like Christ. Mission is the conviction that the church exists for the sake of others. So you take one of those three things and you emphasize it and exclude the other two, and all of a sudden you've arrived at an unhealthy place. So what is unhealth? Unhealth is something that is good and pushed to the extreme. It's pushed to a place of being um, of, of un, unhealth because it's not in um, tension with other pieces. And so maybe we have this kind of misconception that actually a healthy leader is someone who only is after, is only pursuing a good thing. That's not true. You can pursue a good thing in the wrong way, or you can pursue a good thing while ignoring 10 other good things. So you can pursue church growth and ignore the pace that you're living with, or you can pursue um, an encounter or an experience with God and ignore uh, the need for our rootedness or for a quieter kind of spirituality. So there's, you know, there's thousands of examples there, Michael, but, but health is not the result of, uh, of just chasing a good thing. It's a, it's about chasing a set of good things in the right relationship to each other. Oh, I think that's so right. And, you know, I was just thinking through too, like you said, wouldn't we all prefer to kind of learn from (laughs) just the healthy examples? But I think it is those challenges and those difficult ones. And if we even use that word unhealthy, um, those that, boy, they just have that also that lasting impact that's just kind of hard to shake. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's that that impulse of, of uh, uh, you know, that tilts us towards being unhealthy. Uh, it's hard to gain perspective. So this is why it, it takes learning from others and kind of gaining a bit of perspective to say, what did that look like for you in your context? And what did that look like for you in your context? And then it starts to shape our imagination a little bit to say, oh, okay, maybe I don't have to do it this the way that all the people around me in my tribe are saying I need to do it. Maybe there's another mm-hmm. way. Yeah. 
No, that's right. I'll tell you what, another thing too, just in kind of tracking with you and something that, that you had written just even about your own personal story that I have to say I was convicted of and I just thought, wow, this was such a challenge too, was you talk about during that kind of immediate aftermath of, of the fall of uh, Ted Haggard and just you being on staff at that time. And yeah, it's such a pivotal key kind of time in your ministry and all. But I love, Glenn, how you said... Um, you use that as an opportunity to really turn inward and say, okay, God, like search my heart. And um, so anyway, I just was so convicted about that because I think even as we have conversations like this, where, you know, here we are on our podcast and we're talking about healthy leadership and all of these things. I think as we look at some of those examples where things went wrong, it can be so easy to kind of just look on almost from like this outsider's perspective, or we're trying to diagnose, or we're trying to, you know, whatever. But uh, I love how what you said is you took that opportunity to really say, okay, in the midst of what just happened or these other examples that we're seeing, God, what is it in my heart? Like, where do I need to turn inward? So I just have so much respect for how you did that. Well, I'm grateful for the patience of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, that is with me, I mean, that's really what Jesus said when he said, pay attention to kind of, you know, the log in your own eye versus the speck in someone else's. And Michael, we see these headlines and these, you know, Twitter storylines about so-and-so and so-and-so, and it's just easy to kind of jump on uh, this tirade and to say, oh yeah, you know, I hate, you know, evangelicals or whatever, mega churches, whatever, and we just pile on. While we ignore the the same sort of root of pride or maybe the same uh, maybe it's a different vice, but something else that's happening in our own hearts. And I, I feel like instead of before we kind of put the the floodlight on someone else's sin or someone else's failure, we need to invite the searchlight on our own heart and to say, man, what what's going on in me? Search me, oh God, and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And so so while we can learn from the you know the examples or failures from others, really the critical step that we have to take is to not leave it as being about the other person, but actually to say, okay, what, where, where am I, Lord? Like, where am I with you? Where's my relationship with you and all of that? Yeah. And if we could even go down that a little further, you know, what would putting on your pastor hat, <laughs> but speaking to the other ministry leaders who are listening or whatever, but what are some of those maybe indicators or some questions, like as we are searching our heart, what are, yeah. what are some, just to be real specific, like what are some areas that we should be looking at or questions that we should be asking? I mean, one, I, I include in the book, because I think it's hard to improve on these lists, but both Ruth Haley Barton and Pete Scazzaro have, have given us some wonderful inventory-type questions. But one of the ones that sticks out to me is one that I read from Scazzaro's work, where he says, are you living beyond limits? And that's a particular one for pastors, because we sort of think, okay, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, which is not about living beyond your limits, you know, but we take it as if it is, and so we just keep going, we keep going, we keep going. And we think that we don't have a breaking point, forgetting that the Scripture also says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. So we are actually more fragile than we'd like to admit. We do have breaking points. We do uh, have limitations and limited capacities. So one of the questions to ask is, am I living beyond my limits? Am I living beyond my capacity here? And we feel that. I mean, if, you, if you're honest, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a question even before that, a diagnostic question is, um, how am I treating those closest to me, the ones that I'm most comfortable with? Am I irritable? Am I rude? And this is why some of the stories that have come out about, like, this pastor is amazing from the pulpit or in counseling sessions, but is a real beast to their staff and to the, you know, and that's because 
the 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 way that when they're when you reach these breaking points the people closest to you are the ones that are going to see it first They'll, they're going to spot what's leaking out of you and so some of those questions would be how am i treating those closest to me how am i responding when i'm tired um do i have time to recharge i mean one of the questions for me is like do i have a relationship for with god that is apart from the ministry that I'm doing for God, you know, um, in, in the chapter in the book, I, I think the first challenge for a, a resilient pastor is the challenge of our own spirituality. Where are we with our own love for Jesus? And Michael, I, I say this because when Jesus called the disciples, it says his first call, he, he said, it says he called them to be with him and then mm -hmm. to go out and you know heal the sick and do all these things and we like the going out part but my goodness well, the first <laughs> step is to be with him and yes. and so for me one of the, the you know the most important questions you know convicting questions is am i making space in my life to be with jesus and not simply to be you know in a prayer meeting or in a at a church mm -hmm. service or to study for a sermon and on and on yeah um I love how to you you kind of use the words basically. I think you say the best time to dig a well <laughs> is before you need the water. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where yes, yeah, so many are is uh, let's not get to that point where it's too late. You yeah. know, because we all, I mean, speaking to the human condition, like none of us, you know, are without uh, limits and all those things. And like you say, the importance of just being with the Lord and all of that, but it's got to come at that moment where it's actually before you need it. Yes. And so I think that there's too many of us, I mean, I'll throw myself even into this mix of, you know, are we really taking the time to, to like you say, dig those wells uh, before we need it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a convicting thing to me, Michael. I mean, I'm, I'm writing from my own sort of failures and shortcomings and recognizing um, that the only way, you know, you get these moments of crisis and you realize, gosh, I really needed a deeper uh, well. And I think the challenge for pastors is it's hard sometimes to be, just to stretch the metaphor a bit further, it's hard to drink water from the well that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're serving others water from. What I mean by that is, let's just take an example from my own life. I spent many years as a worship leader uh, in church before I was preaching and, and lead pastoring and all that. And there was a time where modern worship as a, as a means of connecting with God kind of dried up for me, you know? Mm. And the tendency or the temptation is to then say, oh, that's because, you know, modern worship is terrible and blah, blah. When really, <laughs> when really it's like, no, you, you know, I'm serving others out of this, but it is, uh, I need something fresh for my own soul. And so I began to find ancient wells or, or uncovering the old wells, like that phrase in Genesis, you know? And, and for me, it was wells of older spiritual practices and traditions that can be life-giving. And so sometimes I think for, for pastors, there is a, a toll, a fatigue in our, our spiritual intimacy muscle, if you will, um, from the, all the services and prayer meetings we're in, and we're leading people, and we're always on the platform. And then when we come away to be with the Lord, we actually need a different mode of experiencing Him. So my encouragement mm -hmm. to pastors and church leaders is explore some other spiritual practices that may help you in your own personal time with the Lord. It may not be for your church. It may not be for any special thing that, that you know, you do with your faith community, but it's something for you and Jesus um, in your own life. That is such wisdom. Yeah, I think going to places that are that are different and mm -hmm. like you said, yeah, the challenge of, yeah, you're, you're kind of drinking from that own well that you're part of. And as I was hearing you say that, Glenn, too, I was thinking, uh, 
to add to that a little bit, like, isn't that part of too, like the beauty of being in the body of Christ and like the diversity of expressions and all of those things? Like maybe sometimes it's just like, we need to visit another part of the body, <laughs> you it. know, this other part of the expression. Man, that's exactly right, Michael. And, and man, I, it, it has been like a lifeline for me. Uh, when I was doing my doctoral work in the UK, I'd make several trips over a year and to sit in an old cathedral and listen to the choir sing the Psalms during evensong or morning prayer, like that, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, ooh, we should do this back at our church, but it was the kind of thing that I thought, this is exactly what I need right now, and this is refreshing uh, to me. And there's a sociological dynamic to this. Years ago, uh, a sociologist studied, you know, you know, flight attendants and the toll that it takes on them from uh, from smiling all the time and then having their own relationships is difficult, you know. So there's hazards of our work is all I'm trying to say. And it's hard to connect with God in the same medium or mode that we're leading others to God in. And so we oftentimes will need another well, a different way. So it, it's not just a matter of digging a well before you need the water, but actually discovering some old wells um, that, that can be life-giving to you. Another way of thinking about it is, to, you say, visiting other churches, which I think is such a, a powerful reminder. Let's not just be in settings where we're the spiritual leader. Let's also be in settings, wow. even if it's occasionally, where we can be in the posture of the worshiper and the one who's receiving. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then, too, uh, you were talking, that reminds me, too, of something else that I've heard you say, which is, really pastors and when it comes to relationships and we all know um you know one of the most isolating i think and challenging you know sort of professions to be in and um yeah pastors kind of have some unique burdens in that respect but uh you talk about all the different kinds of relationships uh that should be kind of part of a ministry leader's life could you share just a little bit about that like what are some of those those key relationships that every ministry leader should have well, you know, so the again, part of the the beauty of the book was the partnership with Barna. They, they they just brought their amazing research to it, and so I worked with their team to design these research questions that went out to hundreds and hundreds of pastors, late twenty 2020, twenty, early twenty twenty one. And one of the things that that we discovered was uh, the loneliness factor, just how lonely pastors feel and how isolated they feel. And then again, the genius of the of Barna's team is how they get at the at the issue from a few different angles. So one of the questions was, you know, do you feel well supported in your life? And and pastors, you know, you're rating yourself. So pastors are always going to fudge on the truth a little bit. Oh yeah, I feel well supported. You know, do you have someone you can talk to regularly? Oh yeah. And then you start drilling down, and you know, do you have a counselor? Do you have a spiritual director? Mm. And it's a very very small percentage of pastors, fifteen percent or so, who say, yeah, actually, I do meet regularly with a counselor or a spiritual director. And so as I began to read some of the data that was coming back, I started reflecting on the kinds of relationships that we need uh, when you're in leadership. And I, then I thought, let's have a little bit of fun with this. And so I started thinking about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and, and you know, Im, Im, imagine if you're Frodo, if the leader's Frodo, you need a fellowship, you know, of relationships around, fellowship of voices of people around you. And, and just to kind of play with it a little bit, you, you need a Gandalf, you need a sage, you know, someone who's going to show mm. up at key moments of your life with wisdom. Gandalf's not there all the time, but that sage is there at key moments. Uh, secondly, you, you need someone who can tell you no. You know, that's the role of Aragorn or the, you know, the, the role of authority in your life. It could, could be your elder board. It uh, could be some others uh, in your life. If you're in a denominational setting, it's probably a bishop or something like that. 
Um, someone who just someone who can tell you no, and it need not be structurally built in, but someone that you give the power to. You know, for me, I have people in my life that I, I run my travel schedule by, and I say, "What do you think? Is this too much?" And they can say yes or no. You know, so we we need that someone who can tell us no. And then, thirdly, we need peers. We need people who are kind of in the fight with us, um, yeah. or I, sh I should say, in the battle, but at a different front of the battle. So that's other pastors. I, I've been in a group with uh, three other pastors for about four or five years now. <clears throat> and we're in a monthly Zoom call together where we'll just kind of talk and check in. It's a place to compare notes. It's a place to pray for each other. We're always texting each other even be between the Zoom calls. So that's an important space. That's the period in Lord of the Rings. That's like the, the dwarves, you know, like they're not always fighting in the same fight, but they're in the same war with you. Um, and then fourthly, you need friends. You need people who are actually mm -hmm. walk this every step of the journey with you. Uh, I, I think for Frodo, you know, it's Sam where he says, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. For many pastors and church leaders, it's not as if someone else can maybe do exactly the work that you do for you. In fact, many times they're the, the heaviest parts of the job are the parts that only you can carry. Um, mm -hmm. You need people who can carry you in those moments, who can encourage you, who are not impressed with you who aren't your friends because you're the pastor. Uh, and then finally, that fifth thing is you need a healer. And this is why I referred to that stat about the counselor. I, I think it's a, it's a really difficult thing that pastors don't have healers in their life. Many pastors don't have healers mm. in their life. Um, because we're the ones that people call, but who's the, one that, who, who's the person that we call um, in those moments? And so that's, um, that's a key piece. Wow. Such wisdom and hey, congratulations. I don't think anybody has ever brought up Lord of the Rings before on the ECFA podcast. <laughs> First time for everything, man. First time for everything. <laughs> you get the award for that. And yeah, just to recap and kind of come back to again, pulling in what uh, you and our friends at Barna found. Uh, tell me if I'm missing something here, but I think it's coming back to a lot of these keys we've talked about, which is... Um, when it comes to, well, I guess there's this epidemic going on of a lot of ministry leaders that are leaving or considering leaving, you know, at rates higher than it seems like ever before. But uh, interestingly, there was those findings that came out too that said that those who are most satisfied mm -hmm. in their roles were the ones that were doing things like uh, in, investing in their, you know, spiritual practices and relationships and just kind of holistic care. Um, and that actually led to, it seemed like, some higher satisfaction levels and and perhaps less likelihood of leaving the ministry as well. Is that right? Yeah, that that's exactly right. Uh, again, it's hard sometimes with with survey questions to know which way the influence is is flowing. You know, so a correlation between these things is not necessarily causation, but it is significant that these things are all bundled together. Is another way to say it, to think of it. You know, like. Yeah. Like when you have spiritual practices, when you have meaningful relationships, when you have all that uh, going in your life, you you end up feeling a stronger sense of satisfaction and and are less likely um, to quit. And then I think you know when when Barna followed up because yeah the statistic was you know it was twenty nine percent in twenty twenty one of uh, pastors considering quitting, and then it rose to thirty eight percent in October of of twenty twenty one, and then this year twenty twenty two. Uh, that number is even higher. It's 40, 42%, 43%. And, so, uh, and that's, not, that's not the percentage of pastors who are quitting, but that's the percentage of pastors who are seriously considering it, which speaks to a kind of weariness. It speaks to a kind of emotional mm -hmm. and mental exhaustion. 
And so, yeah, if you if you think about trying to work reverse engineer it and say, well, what do we need instead? What we need is this this sense of 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 support systems, of well-being, of relationships around us, of our own time to care for ourselves and connect with the Lord. So that's exactly that's exactly the picture, uh, Michael, is is if we have these things in place, it can cultivate uh, help us cultivate resilience. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. And just to pick up on a couple of key things that you just said there were, yeah, relationships mm-hmm. and, and support system. Uh, and two, I'd just love to hear you speak from uh, the unique relationship too that exists between, you know, say like a church board or some of the committees that might be involved as well as the pastor. Um, speak to that a little bit too and what you see uniquely from the side of the table of, of a pastor. What are some things that those who are involved in the church leadership from like a board perspective, what are some ways that they can effectively be helping to support those leaders? Yeah, if you're listening to this and you serve on a church board, I think the first thing I would encourage you to do is to really think about the role of an elder as opposed to, strictly speaking, the board of a, an organization. And I say this because we have lots of, of information, books, parallels about a board of a company and the board of an organization is there to, to put the needs of the organization first and all of that. And look, look, lots of that stuff is true and has overlaps with, with your role in the, in the church. But if you were to think more carefully about the role of elders um, and, and what elders are in, in the church, you're, you're a part of the team that's doing ministry at the church. You're part of mm. the team that God has called to shepherd that flock together. And, and so when you think that way, it's not the board who hires a pastor to do the job of leading the church. It's we as a board are part of the eldership, and we as the elders of the church have been tasked with the responsibility to seek the Lord. Um, for the vision of this church and to give our lives. So I, I'm thrilled to have elders who 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 are the first ones to show up to, you know, to prayer meetings and to church services and to, who want to be who want to know the people who are serving in our uh, small groups and courses. And the, they're the ones who are mentoring people and discipling people. So think first and and maybe centrally of your role as as co-laborers. And I say that because Paul's favorite word um, for for uh, someone who was in ministry with him in the New Testament was not the word for elder, you know, uh, presbyteros, whatever. He's not his most used word is actually the word for co-laborer and partner. Mm. And what pastors need is, is, yeah, okay, is there a need for overseers and all that? Sure, but in one sense, the pastor herself or himself is is an overseer. Uh, what we need are fellow co-laborers and partners. So the best gift you can give your pastors to help them feel like you're in this with them, like you're you're in the trenches with them, that you're seeking the Lord with them. And yes, they bear a particular weight. So maybe secondly, uh, from that place of of co-laboring, a, a co-laboring mindset. Secondly, um, you could think of ways to support the, the particular weight they are carrying, and so to. To ask them, hey, how are you doing in your marriage? How, what do you need for your family? How's your wife feeling? How are your kids doing? You guys, uh, do you need more time? Are you preaching too much? Do we have unfair expectations of you? Um, the stuff that comes up, you know, we think of an annual review as like a performance review, but really a review is an expectations check, you know, to say, yes. are, are these the right expectations to have of you? What What's not a healthy expectation? What can we agree on together uh, and to move forward from there? 
That is so good. Yeah. And I think it echoes so much of the heart behind, you know, ECFA too, like having standards in the area of governance and all that. We just encourage boards to to go that level beyond just the corporate, yeah. you know, yeah. types of things. Um, I know a lot of times too, Glenn, there can be barriers when it comes to communication um, between the a ministry leader and the board. And so um, the picture you painted is kind of the, a beautiful one and an ideal where one where this communication is taking place. But any tips just kind of around how can we encourage yeah. that healthier level of communication between yeah. the ministry leader and the board? Yeah, I mean, it's like like all key relationships. the The secret ingredient is trust, you know, and and trust takes intentional time. Um, so one of the things I'm I, I I am learning from others who have done this for far far longer than I have, uh, which I you know sitting in this particular chair now as lead pastor is is relatively new to me. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm an expert in this, but I have become quite a student of it because. Because of the the role that I'm in, and and I think the people that I've learned from, um, one of the one of the best things you can do is to take time as a board to read a book together and pray together, so that you're all on the same page. And I don't mean like a book on being a board. I actually mean like a, a book that's about spiritual formation or discipleship. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're about to go through Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, and I think that's it. That's the kind of thing where you become brothers and sisters in Christ together as you're seeking the Lord together. So there's a bond that starts to develop there. I think it's really healthy practice to have uh, a once a year kind of elder or board retreat where you have extended time to, to laugh together, but then certainly also to pray together, to seek the Lord together. What you want in an ideal situation is you want the business decisions flowing out of a missional and spiritual sort of core. And so you you form that as you pray together, as you spend time together. So that should be part of every kind of elder meeting. I, when I was at New Life, our elders would also have time not only where we'd pray together, but where we would pray for uh, certain members mm. of the congregation that needed prayer. So all of a sudden, an elder meeting began with us being like a prayer and ministry team over someone who, you know, Susie, who came in and needed prayer for the cancer that's come back or whatever. And that's yeah. those, are, those are powerful moments. Um, because again, it reminds us of the the spiritual trust that we carry. Then, you know, from that place, you 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 enter into the decisions about budgets and accountability and and payrolls and buildings and and all of that starts to make sense. But I, I mean, there's so many layers to this, Michael, and I'm learning that people have so many different ways of doing this in terms of uh, is there are there terms and term limits and and you know lengths of time that people serve on the board. All, all I know is that it takes time to build trust and you've got to be intentional about how you use the time that you are meeting together, whether that's the monthly uh, board meeting or uh, other moments of, of connection and relationship, whether that's meals in each other's homes or an annual retreat or things mm. like that. No, oh, that's good words. Yeah, it takes time. It takes trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I love how you point out too. just even as a spiritual community in that atmosphere, that spiritual atmosphere that's created, not only good for what we might think of as spiritual issues, but even on the physical side of, yeah, the budgets and all those other, you know, uh, types of corporate responsibilities that we've got to carry out. So, yes. well, hey, as we begin to kind of wind down here, I, I really appreciate too how um you offer in the resilient pastor just uh, a word of hope. And so part of that was this quote from John Wesley, where you say, 
best of all, <laughs> God is with us. I thought that was such a good one. And, you know, we also quote, uh, there's a quote that's attributed to John Wesley that we say around here a lot too, which is our responsibility is to give the world the right impression of God. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder, as you hear that, Glenn, and you think about healthy leadership, how do you see healthy leadership contributing positively to giving the world the right impression of God. Oh, Michael, that's so huge. You know, one of the challenges that emerged, so again, the book has eight challenges, four for the pastor as an individual, four for the church as a whole. One of the ones that emerged from the data that was most discouraging was this sort of crisis of credibility that uh, we're we're facing where pastors are um, increasingly less and less viewed as trustworthy sources of wisdom. Mm Um, certainly by the by the non-Christian world, but even in the Christian world, I think that it's only about 71% of Christians who said yes or yes, absolutely, a pastor is a trustworthy source of wisdom. Mm. And I suspect the emphasis there is trustworthy, uh, is on the word trustworthy. And so in the chapter, I go on to reflect on on what we've done to kind of erode our own credibility. And it, it really comes down to the misuse of power. Um, mm. and, and a reflection from the life of, of King Saul or the story of King Saul, even prior to him being chosen, Samuel told the, uh, you know, the people, he said, if you want a king, be careful, kings take. And so the, the first temptation of every leader is to leverage your position for personal gain, you know, to, to end up taking. Um, and then the second thing that Saul does is he, uh, he, he, he steps outside of his lane. He misuses power by by taking that role of the priest and, and pastors do this sometimes we're, we're trained in one area, but we start to speak like we're, you know, experts on politics or experts on public health or whatever. And it's like, that's really not our, mm. our lane. And we erode our own credibility that way. Uh, and then thirdly, you see in Saul, he makes this hasty vow and he says, whoever eats today is going to be killed, finds out that his son has eaten some honey, you know, and he's stuck now. And, and, and leaders who speak too brashly, too hastily, we're 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 not leading our teams with gentleness. What I love about ECFA, and you didn't ask me to say this, Michael, but it's true. New Life, the church that I was at for 22 years, is a is a member of ECFA, and we would say this at every one of our guest lunches because there's thousands and thousands of churches um, mm-hmm. in, in America, but not many have submitted to the uh, the criteria and the qualifications. But we love it, and we actually, you know, New Life had a had the seal of the ECFA seal on the the front door. Uh, window thing because it's a way of saying we too must be held accountable we too must be oh. subject to higher standards of trust and it's not just about money it's certainly about money people give as an act of worship then we need to steward people's worship um well but it's not just about money it's about all of the ways that we steward um power and accountability so long way of answering your question how do we give people the right impression of god it's by stewarding power the way Jesus used power. How did Jesus use power? He used it for someone else's benefit. Uh, John 13 mm. says, Jesus, knowing that all authority was his and that, that uh, it had all been entrusted into his hands, what does he do? He doesn't start issuing orders and barking commands. He takes off his robe and begins to wash their feet, even the feet of the one who would betray him and deny him. Mm. And, and I think that's the sermon. That's the message for all of us in here. And ECFA is a partner to help you use power the way Jesus used power, which is to serve others, to benefit others, to wash the feet of others for someone else's good. That's how we do this. Yeah, you're so right. It is a stewardship. That's that's a great word for it. So, well, hey, uh, I know we spent so much time kind of 
in the rearview mirror in a lot of ways with your uh, with your ministry and where God has led you up to this point, and even just the resilient pastor. Which again, we encourage uh, folks to take a look at that uh, from from Glenn from Barna. But uh, yeah, tell us what's next. Uh, what's next for you, Glenn? Well, it's exciting, and the Resilient Pastor initiatives will continue. I mean, my hope is this book will continue to minister and bring strength to pastors uh, for years to come. Uh, but we we are continuing the Resilient Pastor podcast. Season three is going to launch in, in 2023, and hopefully there'll be a season four as well. But my wife and I have also um, released a book. It, comes, it came out December 6th, 2022, called The Intentional Year. And mm. it, it's not just for couples, it's for any person, you know, any, any, any season of life. But the idea is you have to sometimes call a time out on your own life, take, a, take time away and take inventory, reflect on the season that you've just come through. And Michael, what a, a season we've all just come through over the last couple of years, you know? <laughs> and and yes. so really, you know, step one is learning to reflect back. And we give a, a, a guide, a template for how to reflect back backwards and then step two is to kind of take an inventory over five key areas of your life uh your prayer life your rest your renewal and your relationships and your work and so as you take inventory your the goal is to say what are the existing kind of maybe even default rhythms that i have in those five areas and are those the rhythms i want Uh, do i want to be uh, are these default settings the right settings and how could i change maybe tweak one or two practices or rhythms in each of those five areas and then step three is really turning those rhythms into events in your calendar so you know when uh, and where you're going to engage and embrace those practices. So it's in many ways, I see it's not a sequel to The Resilient Pastor because it's not just for pastors, it's for anybody. But on the subject of health and uh, uh, stewardship and all of that, stewardship of time and of relationships and resources, I think in all of those ways and more, The Intentional Year is is very much an appropriate follow-up uh, to my earlier work. Perfect. Well, hey, for all those listening, and we will, we'll put some links to that uh, in our show notes of The Resilient Pastor and also the podcast. Encourage folks to be listening to that, as well as The Intentional Year. Yes. How could we all not benefit by being a little bit more intentional in so many of these ways of health? So we encourage everyone to do that. And Glenn, thank you again. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your time and a really good conversation today. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Michael. You too. What was your favorite takeaway from Glenn and Michael's discussion? Leave it in a review on iTunes or Spotify or leave it in the comment section of this YouTube video. Hey, we can't thank you enough for listening to the Behind the Seal podcast from ECFA. Make sure to check out Glenn's podcast, The Resilient Pastor Podcast, and also his books, The Resilient Pastor, and his newest one that he wrote with his wife, Holly, The Intentional Year. And as Glenn said, I want to encourage you all to go out and find a new well to drink from. Experience God in a new way this week.